ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Nothing obvious to pick up there, but he is in pain. This could be a big moment in the test match, in the series, with back-to-back tests. He's a major, major man in this attack. He's pivotal in this attack. Injury has done what many opponents could not over 100 consecutive tests. That's tame Nathan Lyon. The spinner's sore calf threatens to reshape the men's ashes as England wrestles with Australia's new short ball assault, which might be causing a Baz ball identity crisis. We're going to dig into the cricket with Corbin Middlemass. We will serve up some tennis with Wally Massour. There's the weekend forecast in the AFL and the NRL. And, of course, everyone's favourite, sound bites. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily. Two days down and the second men's Ashes test is poised delicately. Corbin Middlemass is the host of the Grandstand Cricket Pod. He's here to talk about it. Corb, Nathan Lyon's injured calf is the story. People comparing it to Glenn McGrath's 05 cricket ball stepping on incident. How might it shape the series? Oh, it feels like it's, it's going to have a big impact, particularly in this test match. I'm not so sure going forward given the replacements that the Australians have in the spin department. But really, when you look at the two lineups and you, you put them side by side for this Lord's Test match, the one thing that jumps off the page is the fact that the Australians have one of the greatest spin bowlers that the world's ever seen. He's bowled Australia to victory now on a number of occasions, and England don't have a spinner at all. They're going in just with the, the pace attack. So that's an area that the Australians thought that they would have had a huge chance to exploit. And particularly when Lyon goes down, it feels like it takes away a significant advantage for the Australians in play. Just keep an eye on whether Nathan Lyon has got cramp or if he's tweaked to calf. Whether it's cramp or he's tweaked to calf. Remember, 100 test matches, consecutive test matches. The first bowler to do that, this doesn't look good. It'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. Todd Murphy is part of the camp. He looks like the heir apparent for Nathan Lyon. We saw how much success he had in the subcontinent recently. So I would argue, um, yeah, with no disrespect to England, but this is clearly an, an issue that they have in their lineup at the moment um, in the, with the absence of Jack Leach, that if you said it was Todd Murphy, if you said it was Matt Kuhneman or Mitch Swepson, Australia really have you know, three or four spinners that uh, that England would take in their first choice 11 at the moment. The other point of note on day two was the Australian bowling attack opting for the short ball tactic. Is it forcing something of an identity crisis of the Bazball evangelists? <laughs> it's, a, it's a good point. I mean, Michael Vaughan said post-play too that we can't be mixing entertainment with stupidity. And it, it felt a little <laughs> bit like that from England last night that... They were, they were right back in this match. I mean, Australia at one point, Stacky, looked like they were going to get 450, 470. And in the end, they had to, to settle for, for 416. So England would have been happy with their bowling performance early on day two, in which they were able to, to mop up the last of the Australian wickets. Um, five for 65, the Aussies lost on day two. Edge caught slip, out, bye-bye. Root takes the catch. Hazelwood's out. And that's the end of Australia's innings. All out and then all when they came out and were in a commanding position at virtually one for 190, they would have felt like they were well and truly back in the match. They had Australia on the ropes, line uh, had gone down, and it was a chance for them to, to not only get back into the test but into the series. And then to lose three for 34 in the space of eight overs, 
and all of a sudden Australia would be feeling um, pretty good about themselves. The short ploy work for Australia. Just the compulsive hooking of the England team. Pope caught on the boundary by Steve Smith. You had Joe Root falling in similar fashion. And then Duckett, too short of 100, just threw it away to be caught down at fine leg. In comes Hazelwood. Ball to Duckett. Short is top edged it down to fine leg is caught. I think it also says a fair bit about the pitch. The fact that the pitch isn't offering the bowlers a whole lot. So we saw even when England bowled that it wasn't so much just sort of put it there and wait for any kind of seam or swing movement that, that really wasn't on offer. In the end, it was the guys that were able to, to get it through with a bit of speed, and we saw that from, from Josh Tong in particular. You know, if you can ramp it up around 140, and the Australians certainly being able to find a way through with the short ball, that is where um, you know, success lies on this pitch, and we, we certainly saw the Australians uncover that last night. So, yes, silly by England, but I think uh, the, the also credit to the Australians too for, for finding a way through and a, a way to get wickets on what looks like a, a pretty dull pitch. Kind of lost in the mix with Steve Smith. His 32nd test hundred, what struck him most about it? While wickets are falling around him, he's just so calm and continues to, to play his own game out there and looks like he's, to use some old cliches, looks like he's almost playing on a different pitch at times or in different conditions. And Smith does it again at Lord's. I mean, that's really been the, the trademark of Smith throughout his career. The numbers now are, are, are so gaudy where you look at it and you think, gee, 32 test hundreds. And it makes you think sort of what's possible. So he, he equals Steve Waugh. There's only one Australian batter in the history of Test cricket that scored more Test 100s than him, and that's Ricky Ponting, who's made 41. So he's on 32. Can he get nine um, beyond the age of 34 where he sits at the moment? So he's had these sort of signature moments at, uh, at Lords in the past at the home of cricket for one of the, the greatest batters that the world's ever seen. And, and now he, uh, he, he leaves another sort of indelible moment at the, uh, the home of cricket with... Uh, a spectacular 100 in the first innings here. Corbin Middlemass, thanks for your time, man. Appreciate it. All good. Anytime. And a reminder, you can catch every ball live and commercial free on the ABC Listen app. In the NRL, round 18 is already underway. And did you catch Ben Hunt captaining St. George Illawarra, the club he has asked to leave, while taking on fierce rivals Cronulla last night? Well, he did, and it was pretty ugly for the Dragons fans. Seems like we're getting worse. Uh, no, we need never. A good look at ourselves and, yeah, I don't know, come together somehow. A 52-16 defeat and minimal impact from their skipper as the focus around the 33-year-old's future refuses to go away. In case you missed it, Hunt has indicated a desire to get to Queensland, maybe the Titans, maybe the Broncos, even if he has to play hooker in Brisbane. That's a position he's been steadfast. He does not want to play at the Dragons. Interim coach Ryan Carr is adamant everyone's moved on, but you feel like this is going to be an albatross for the club to carry through the season until they can get some sort of clarity. In terms of other games we're keeping an eye on this weekend, we are fascinated to see first place Penrith taking on fourth place Melbourne. The Storm's Christian Welsh was caught in what they call a hot mic moment last week. That's when you don't appreciate a microphone is on and you speak a little too candidly. He said he was shocked the Panthers had beat Newcastle without all their origin guns. Those guns have reloaded and will turn out for this juicy Friday evening clash. With the top four all even on points and only split by points differential, it's a crucial opportunity. The other point of interest is the Brisbane Derby. Broncos versus Dolphins. The last time these two clashed, it was a whole internal Brizzy feud around, inverted commas, who owns 
Lang Park. Ultimately, that game was sealed by a length of the field try from Katoni Staggs. It involved him gathering a Finns kick on his own try line, running the length of the field, swan diving over the try line to score and screaming, our effing home. The two sides will go head-to-head on Saturday night, though Brisbane will be without Reese Walsh. The fullback is on a three-week sabbatical for going all Ollie Robinson on the referee last week. A reminder, you can catch every game on the ABC Listen app, live and free. Wimbledon gets underway on Monday next week. So Aussie legend Wally Masura has put on his metaphorical whites to talk tennis with us. Wally, Nick Kyrgios might be back at Wimbledon, but he's under an old-fashioned injury cloud, even if he gets on court. Will he be in any shape to contend the way he did in 2022? It's interesting, Stacky, because obviously there's been other tournaments, as you suggest, where he, you know, there's been question marks over injury and niggling injuries, but he's been playing. Um, this is a very different scenario. He's played one match in 2023. He has had surgery, you know, to kind of clean up the knee. There's a, a parameniscal cyst growing in his lateral meniscus, which is a result of a small tear in his lateral meniscus. Um, so very different set of circumstances. <laughs> Hard to believe he could back up and do what he did at Wimbledon last year. But if there's one player that is completely enigmatic and can just do something out of the box, it is Nick. He has a serve that will pretty much keep him in any match. Oh, that is out of this world. It's a Kyrgios special. Maybe he plays with very little expectation um, and plays well. But my concern is, of course, just just volume and intensity. You know, you, you start playing four and five set matches when you just don't have those, uh, you know, all that money in the bank given all the matches he hasn't played this year and it, it catches up with you. And is that meaning it's starting to feel a little bit like a lost year for the Canberran, just when we felt like he might be putting it all together after Wimbledon, the US Open run, the way he was talking ahead of the Australian Open? It looked really promising, didn't it? Because there he was on the big stage. I mean, that match in, against Djokovic at Wimbledon, I just wonder if Nick didn't look internally, if he looked over towards Djokovic, you know, Djokovic was worried. There was no question about that. Um, he, you know, Nick's in, Nick's in his head a little bit, you know, not not just because of the character that he is, but because of the game that he's got. Yes. This was a good shot from Djokovic. Kyrgios takes it on the volley. So outside of Nick Kyrgios, who do you see as Australia's best chance of going deep? The demon. The yeah, demon. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, let's not forget, Stacky, that last year he was he was a match point away from beating Garen in straight. Uh, to go to the to go to the quarterfinals, um, you know he can really play. Oh, Demon can play on any surface, but he gets a little bit of help on the grass. Uh, he's such a good mover. You know, it's hard to push him off the baseline. He likes taking the ball early. He it's a very low, flat trajectory. You know that that can pay dividends on the grass. He knows how to volley. He knows how to transition to the net. So keep your eye out for the Demon, and he's seeded. Uh, gives him a bit of protection against the big guns early. Um, and once he gets his teeth into the tournament, look out. Victory for Alex Domenor. From a broader worldview, a tip for the men's and the women's, please, Well, Mate, I've got about eight or nine players behind the Joker that I think have a chance to do well, but the Joker is my cliff favourite in the men's. In the women's, I probably would have said Rubakana, but she's been pretty much sick and ill since the French Open, haven't seen her, and haven't seen Mukova since the French. So those they, those two would have been right at the very top of my list. And in the absence of them playing, I'd probably lean towards Sabalenka. Um, Sviontek's class, but I just think there's little parts of her game that are not so suited to grass, and I think she's a little vulnerable. So I'll, I'll say Sabalenka in the absence of seeing any tennis on grass from Mbakana and Mukova. Yes, Sabalenka!
Can't wait to catch it all. Enjoy the tennis, Wally. Thank you. Good on you, Stacky. AFL in round 16 has started with Brisbane putting the competition on notice that they are not here to muck around as they dismantled Richmond by 81 points at the Gabbatoir. Lions dominant at the Gabba. Does anyone feel with Brisbane that they're in this weird limbo where everyone can see they are objectively excellent, but it seems as though the whole industry will only believe it if they win the grand final at the MCG? It's an odd place for the club to be in. Yes, we see your excellence, but we only formally recognise it with a premiership. If they keep going like that and finish top two, you can see them being formidable come September. Elsewhere, the grand final rematch 2.0 is on at the SCGs. The Swans endeavour to avoid a thumping from their tormentors Geelong. The Cats have no Jeremy Cameron, but Patrick Dangerfield is back. Chad Warner is out for Sydney. And Lance Franklin's still not in the mix. Geelong need this win to stay in touch with the top eight. One to watch. If there are two teams it's nearly impossible to get a read on, it's the Bulldogs and Fremantle. The pair go head-to-head in the Flaky Cup at Docklands on Saturday afternoon, and we will see if the Victorians' star-studded midfield is good enough to get past a Dockers team that has waxed and waned and waxed and waned again. Finally, can Essendon make a statement against a Port team that is the form side of the competition right now? The Bombers host Port Adelaide at the G on Saturday night. That game and every game live and free on the ABC Listen app. Time for sound bites, and did you see Bruce McAvaney being admitted to the AFL Hall of Fame? We could dead set listen to the broadcaster talk all day. Here's a snippet of his acceptance speech. I had three dreams really. Um Play test cricket, didn't happen. Um, play league football, didn't happen. And call the Melbourne Cup, well, one out of three. Uh, um, Gil better than meatloaf, anyway, so there you go. Um, Gil McLaughlin still copping heat over meatloaf. Speaking of Hall of Fame, this interview with college baseballer Stephen Shock, where he admits he considered throwing a game for ice cream, is right up there. I heard a fan offer free dipping dots if I blew it, which... The price of dip and dots with inflation is just unreal. So for a brief moment, I was like, damn, dip and dots sound good. But also I thought in the back of my head, we win today, we win tomorrow. We're going to be here another day. That's more per diem. So that means I can buy my own dip and dots. Does anything make you nervous? Caves. <laughs> Mainly. Um, I don't see any caves out here. I know. We're in the south. If it's not the desert. That's where I find most caves are probably at. Got to watch out for the caves. Let's finish on a high with the women's cricket team taking a stranglehold on the Ashes with a test victory over England. Here's the sound of victory. Great at cricket, bad at singing. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily, produced by Joel Casson. Thanks to ACCC, Fox Footy, Channel 9 and Tennis TV for the extra audio used in this episode. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.